Hi, this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We are getting our podcast operation going here at Gotham Gazette, and I had the chance to sit down with City Council Speaker Melissa Mark Verito. We took the opportunity on a late August Thursday, kind of a quiet week, quiet day in New York City politics, and spoke for about an hour in the Speaker's office at City Hall, touched on a wide variety of topics, and really just wanted to get a sense from uh, the Speaker how she feels about the direction of the city. Uh, It's about two and a half years into her term as Speaker and the Mayor Bill de Blasio's term as Mayor. They've been working closely together on a wide variety of democratic and progressive policies. Uh, They've gotten some criticism from both the left and the right, uh, and I asked her about those, and, and she addressed those separately. And in general, of course, she feels good about the direction that they've been taking the city. Uh, I also asked her about whether the city council was slipping at all in its oversight of the administration because they are so aligned. And she provided a few examples where she felt like it's clear that the city council is still doing its job, even though they are aligned on quite a bit. We also talked about her interest in seeing the Rikers Island jail complex closed and discussed how uh, her plan for that and her final year as speaker in 2017 will be coinciding with the mayor's re-election campaign and how that could complicate things a bit. Uh, you'll hear she had a little bit of a laugh about that when I when I brought that up. Uh, but we talk about a wide variety of issues in the interview. I hope you find it interesting. Um, we, we do hit on what Mark Viverito might do next after her time in the city council is up. She did say that she feels strongly about finishing out her term and not jumping into a new job before the end of 2017. She pushed back on any idea that she's been campaigning for Hillary Clinton for president because she's trying to line a job up there, although there is a lot of speculation that she may be offered a a position in a potential Clinton administration. She didn't rule that out, but she wanted to make sure it was clear that she's supporting Hillary Clinton because she believes in her not to line up a job. And uh, she said a variety of interesting things about the work that's going on in the city, which was the major focus of the conversation. Um, Something interesting is that you'll hear in different parts of the conversation, she, she says that she doesn't think that the city council or the mayor is really getting enough credit for the work they're doing to make a more equal uh, city and provide more opportunity for people who, who've been left behind. She said that after about 20 years of Republican rule, Republican policies in New York City, it's been time for a correction, and she's been pleased to help lead that in a new direction, lead the city in a new direction. So you'll hear her thoughts on on a wide variety of topics, and uh, I look forward to your feedback. You can find me by email at bmax at gothamgazette.com. I'm on Twitter at tweetbenmax. And without further ado, here's my conversation with City Council Speaker Melissa Mark Viverito. Speaker Mark Viverito, thank you for for joining me. Thank you. Um, So I wanted to uh, first ask you about a a couple of recent... um, I don't know, dust-ups of sorts, where you, you had a couple of funny or interesting, not, not necessarily funny, but public moments. One is the Twitter exchange with the Department of Transportation. Right. right? So tell, tell, tell me, tell us 
what when you when you reported something, you were tweeting, you're active on Twitter, you wanted to bring something to the attention of a city agency and you didn't get the response you wanted. So what what went through your your mind there? You know, you know I can probably tell you how many times a day, whether in person or through phone calls, constituents call our offices uh, with complaints they file to three one one that don't get addressed and that our role as an elected official and that is what we have been entrusted to do, right, is to be able to facilitate and cut through the red tape of the bureaucracy. And that is our responsibility. It's not like we're asking for uh, more and better uh, attention than others. But that is com- comes with the responsibility of being an elected official that passes the budget for the city of New York and that our responsibility is to interact on a daily basis with city agencies to facilitate um, projects on behalf of our constituents and our districts. So if I'm directly, as the elected official, interacting with a city agency to say, uh, this is something that is a problem in my district, I'm not asking for a personal favor, I'm walking the streets of my district, a light is hanging loose, which could be a danger potentially also, right by a public school, kids walk that every day with their families, and it was hanging for carrots, and I'm saying, this is something that I think should be addressed, then I don't expect the bureaucratic response. That's the reality. So, you know, I, I did it in a way. I mean, I do a lot of walking in my district. I like to take walks to the different neighborhoods of the city of New York. Um, I've been doing a lot of logging these days of, of, of miles, and and uh, you can see it on my Instagram and Twitter. And I just I like to interact with the neighborhoods that we represent as a way of getting a feel for it. But through one of those walks, you know, I was checking out different things in my district. That's what I came across. So that was uh, the reason I decided to tweet about it is to say, please be aware of this and please uh, do something about it. And so, you know, it, it got a little bit uh, heavier than it needed to, mm-hmm. I think. But uh, I'm glad that it got addressed. And I'm glad that the Department of Transportation uh, paid attention to it and that we got it resolved. And you got a little bit of flack because one of your responses was that's not a response for an elected. Right. And maybe, obviously, with the 140-character <laughs> limitation on uh-huh. Twitter, uh, sometimes maybe the tone, right, may be read in a different way. I think anybody who knows me and knows the way that I've carried myself and that I carry myself, uh, the last thing from my mind was entitlement. That's mm-hmm. not the approach, and that was not the reason that I tweeted it. But as an elected official, on behalf of my constituents, we are asked, um, and our responsibility is to interface with agencies and to get a quicker response and to cut through the red tape. And we do that every day very gladly for our constituents. So um, it just may have been interpreted the wrong way. It definitely was not the intention so to some, come across that. Right. So someone manning one of those, any agency, Twitter accounts, sees an elected official, brings something to their to their attention, you want it to sort of be a little bit more of a flag than a normal constituent? Well, I think the other issue here was, and that's what we probably will probably do a hearing, is how is how are complaints being logged, right, from different city agencies? And people use social media very aggressively these days. And other, age, other cities have been able to... Uh, really incorporate that as a way of logging complaints. It seems like we may have some deficiencies in that. So that could be something that we really do a hearing on. We've talked about uh, how do we log complaints as a city? How do we address those complaints? How do they get resolved? Uh, so that's really more than anything. I think also part of the response that I 
handed out, right, was that I'm using a media, I'm logging a complaint. This, to me, was a way of logging a complaint. And the response was like, no, that's not enough. You've got to go uh, to 311 and, and get an official number or however it is. Right. I think so, that, I mean, I do, I do think that brought to people's attention that they're, they don't seem to be taking complaints through social right. media, which, which, like you said, could be an interesting topic to sort right, of bring people like in a, about. Right, and when it comes to New York, understanding that we're at such a different scale than any other city, right? If you've got a city that is 750,000 to a million people, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier, to maybe more agile to get things done. But we're a large city, and understanding that sometimes some things may take a little longer to implement. But because a lot of people do use their... Um, smartphones these days, right, for almost everything, and it should not the smartphone be away also um, to either social media or other apps, and I know that 311 has an app, uh, we could talk about that too at the hearing, but other ways that we can um, make sure that we're addressing constituent concerns in, in a more uh, in a speedier way, mm-hmm. more expeditious way. So that, that hits on oversight, I want to sort of come back to the council's role and yeah. your role in oversight in a minute, but the, the second thing was... You know, when you were talking, you were sort of defending your decision on the Right to Know Act compromise, and you were saying just because a bill has a certain number of sponsors, even if it's most of the council, doesn't mean it gets passed, right? right. And so because I want to. mean, there's hearings that have to happen. Many times a bill, as originally heard, has to go through amendments. Things may be taken out, things may be added in. That's part of negotiation, part of compromise. So it's not just, you know, there's a lot of analysis and thought that goes to a bill. This is not something that's going to, you know, hang over our heads as a city. So um, it's not just a matter of saying the magic number 36, get it passed, right? There's still a lot of legwork that has to go with it. And, um, and so that was really kind of the response. I mean, we have to be very deliberate. We're a legislative body, and we have to be really thoughtful about the things that we do, and we have to take every opinion into account. I mean, at least on the spectrum. People that are in favor, people that are opposed, people that are middle of the road, all those things weigh in into any decision that we make, and we have to hear those different points of view. Um, and a lot of times, even I as a council member, right, I would adjust based on information that I was getting um, that I had not necessarily heard of. So that's, you know, it's, it's part of a process that sometimes with issues that may be a little bit more contentious or a little complicated, it takes longer to get through, to sort through. Um, so I, I try to really, you know, I take my responsibility very seriously, and I think all of us as legislators do. So that's part of the process into any sort of, of, um, of uh, legislation. So is it your job, would you say, as speaker, to sort of be the conduit sometimes between the administration and the members where you have to say, there's other considerations we need to take in here, and you go to council members where there's however many, 30 or so, who like the intent of a bill, and so they're signed on as sponsors, but that doesn't mean that they've analyzed every word of the legislation, and you need to be sort of the <laughs> the leader of the ship, right, the captain of the ship, and you need to say to them, I don't know that we've looked at this carefully enough, or we have to take this feedback in from the administration. I mean, how does, how does I that come into, look, I come into this position having been a council member right. for eight years, and... This was also part of the speaker's which we'll get to in a minute. So you have a friend or colleague that comes to you and says, I need you to support my bill. And you may not have read every aspect of it. Like you're saying, the intent, oh, that sounds great. I know Robin, I've worked with her really well. I'm just going to sign on, right? 
And that, that's a reality of, of the work that we do. Or sometimes, you know, you have an advocacy group that calls you and, and you've had a good working relationship and, and you sign on. But that's where the hearings come in, right? And the real deliberation and hearing from other points of view. And then you may adjust. I know I adjusted many times when I was a council member. Um, so I understand that reality. And so as a speaker, I have that and I'm informed by that as well. Um, and then when I spoke in the speaker's race, right, we, we've made some reforms to really open up the body. And so the, the idea here is that it's about being more thoughtful about bills you sign on to and how we move them forward. So, I mean, that's part of it, and, and I, I come with that understanding, uh, which someone outside of the legislative body may not understand all those nuances, right? And uh, part of the job is also getting and taking the criticism, mm -hmm. understanding that not everybody has all the information and maybe making a decision or judgment um, lacking the full context, and that's part of it. You develop a thick skin. You're able to move on. You got to do your work. You got to govern. You know, you can't get um, too mired in that, and just figure out a way that we advance and make progress. Which is, at the end of the day, what I feel I'm here to do is that we want to move forward. Um, you know, maybe for some people the pace may be slower than they would like, but my perspective and my philosophy is that if we've moved the gauge forward. 5, 10, 20, 50%, I feel we've made progress, and I think that's something I would be proud of. Have you had to be more moderate as the speaker than you were or would be as a rank-and-file council member? Have you... Have you I, I don't think so. I believe, I believe I have to be more thoughtful, and I have to be more balanced in being able to hear other perspectives and maybe take things a little bit more slowly or measured or, you know, try to figure that out. Uh, but I believe that what we've done, the work we've done, is extremely progressive as a council. Um, we've taken on some issues that we've gotten a lot of national attention on, that we've really challenged um, when it comes to immigration reform and criminal justice reform. I don't think we get enough credit for the actual changes that we've been able to implement and how we've been able to move uh, the agenda forward. Uh, so, so I think that I'm really proud of that and understanding that as the leader of this legislative body, um, there's more that I have to factor than just my personal point of view or my own district's point of view. I've got a city to also look at. I've got other districts that may be a little bit more conservative than mine or maybe, you know, the other factors that play into it that also uh, we, have to, we have to lead and govern, making sure all those voices in some ways are being heard. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference between a citywide responsibility and yeah. your district. and a more parochial, right, with mm -hmm. local perspective. Right. Yeah. You say you, you, you don't think you're necessarily getting enough credit from who? Who, who where, is, where is there not enough credit? No, I don't credit? think enough attention, uh, enough, enough uh, I mean, that, that people, when they talk about the criminal justice reform work that's happened, uh, they, don't, they don't really look at the breadth of what we've done, right? The bail reform work that we've done. Um, the Criminal Justice Reform Act and the way we, we, we look at summonses and other things that we've taken into account or done that really is making a difference and will make a difference in people's lives. Uh, and, uh, and really, you know, excited about that. And, and, and I'm going to leave here with a record, I think, of real, real progress. Is that the press? Is that the activists? You know, who, I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, uh -huh. I would say that that's the case. I mean, we do a good job, I think, of putting out there, and the press team has been great, you know, really putting out there the great work that we do. How people interpret that or how people uh, report on that is up to them. And, but 
but I, I think that we've done some really great work. So, so on one hand, there's a lot of criticism you mentioned, right? On the other hand, there's sort of people not necessarily quite giving enough credit for what you're doing as a reformer. So. How do you, you know, how do you take that? How do you, you get, you get hit from the left and the right, right? You get hit from the activists. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of pushback right now on this right to know act, right? There's, there's new letters being sent and comments from family members of people who've been killed by the, the NYPD. And to me, I see that and I say, wow, you know, this, this is, if this speaker is moving the, you know, moving the ball in, in several ways, but, you know, these are still the the criticisms that are coming from advocates and reformers outside of government. How do you, how does that sit with you? Like, how, how do you respond to that criticism? Listen, these families have gone through, you know, a horrific reality, something that nobody wishes upon anybody. And... Obviously, there's pain that never goes away, and those voices, you know, they have the right to express themselves, and, and in some cases, justice needs to be served. Um, so, you take that. I mean, you listen to it, you interact. You, hope, uh, you know, more than happy to engage with the family members, uh, but you know, I. It's, it's part of the deliberative process, right? It's part of getting that feedback on anything we do. We're always going to get uh, people that may not agree exactly with it. But I've been very clear, and anybody that knows me, I'm probably one of the least political people that you'll meet in the sense that, you know, I really do something, especially something as sensitive as this, something that I've worked so hard on, and something that I've been involved in as council member, something that impacts my district directly, uh, and that we hear a lot of it as well. You know, it's it's something that I believe in my heart is that the way we've approached it is the right way for now, right? And I've been very clear that from a place where the NYPD indicated that these were anti-cop bills to the point now where they are incorporating and putting forth elements of these bills, to the point where we're going to be seeing it implemented on the ground, um, I want to see that play out. Where, and legislation is not off the table, right? Let's see how it works out and let's see how that it moves forward. And if we don't feel progress enough has been made, then we can look at other alternatives. So I'm very clear, I'm transparent about where I am, but I really believe that we have moved the ball forward in this case and that, that um, we'll, we'll see the, the results of that you know, soon enough. You know, they have time, they have to implement it, we can watch it, we can monitor it, we can have a hearing about it, see how it's going, and then, and then figure out the next steps after that. On the, on the other side of things, criminal justice reform, a lot of the sort of um, workplace and workforce-related reform, some of the immigration reform, you, you get people, whether it's in the New York Post or, or just sort of people from the right who, you know, this is communist stuff and this is, um, you know, the city's going to hell and, 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 you know, this is aimed at you, this is aimed at the mayor. Um, so do, do you worry at all that you're going too far? Do you worry that you're you're um, infusing government too much into you know the private sector? What are, what do you think about this sort of critique from the right that this is all a little too much? Hasn't in what ways? Right, we're two and a half years in. Um, things have been implemented, and the city is not 
going to hell in a handbasket, right? Obviously, you know, we, we're not perfect, but I think that with anything, when I tell people about legislation, is the same way you can implement it, the same way you can roll it back, right? You can put something in effect, and it being responsible, you monitor it, and if things are not going the way you want, you can always make adjustments to improve on legislation or to figure out ways that you maybe um, curtail it, right? So, so that's um, that's that's something that that is a reality, right? So nothing is static. Um, so, so that's the, the but, but I think that what we've seen in terms of everything is the new ID that's been implemented, right? All the criticisms that were done, nothing negative has resulted out of that, and I think it's been beneficial to the 500,000, 600,000 families that have, you know, or individuals that have availed themselves to it. When we think about all the, um, the unaccompanied minors, right, and us doing that public-private partnership, now we have over 100 children that were fleeing horrific crime have an asylum, right, and potentially more. And there's, there's, you know, we've done a lot of great things. Now the Criminal Justice Reform Act, where we have potentially 10,000 individuals um, that will not have these interactions that will produce a permanent criminal record. I mean, that's that's substantial stuff. And it, again, it's validating and embracing um, uh, people in communities that have been marginalized for so long, right? It's trying to uh, correct systemic injustices that have existed for too long. And these are the steps that we can take as a city. There's obviously changes that have to happen at the federal level, but there's things that we can do in, as a city and we're demonstrating that um, and that it does, it produces more, you know, better results for the city uh, at the end of the day when everyone feels embraced, when everyone is validated, when people are able to come back to their communities and reintegrate positively and be able to get a job or, you know, uh, so those are things that to me mean a lot and I'm very happy about what we've accomplished and what we're accomplishing, what we have yet to do and I think we're proving the naysayers wrong. I mean... No one got hit hardest than myself during the speaker's race. I took a lot of hits, and everybody analyzes that, that race in terms of all the negative reporting that was done, um, saying that doomsday was coming if I was elected speaker. And, uh, you know, I think we put the naysayers wrong. So, so, so two and a half or so years into your speakership, to the mayor's term, you've obviously worked together on a lot of this because these things aren't going to become law if they don't go through the council and they get signed by, by him. Right. So this is a, a pretty big, on-the-same-page joint effort about making a fairer city, mm-hmm. right? More opportunity, you say, correcting some of the inequities. Um, so, so, so how do you see that right now? How has the work gone for two and a half years? And are there specific things that you're eyeing that you say, we haven't gotten to this yet, but we have to, have to move on this before I'm out of here? I, I, th- I mean, I think we're heading in the right direction of things we take. I mean, look, we have to put things in perspective, right? We're dealing with a city as large as New York, so, you know, there are, uh, bureaucracy exists. Uh, you know, then we're dealing with, you know, prior to this mayor coming in of 20 years of Republican rule, in essence, you know? We were going to play footsie and be in two parties and was a Democrat, became a Republican, independent, whatever it was. But, you know, in essence, it was, you know, Republican policies. And you don't you don't switch and turn that ship around overnight. And even two and a half years in, you know, it's still a short window within a larger period of time. So I think that you are seeing some changes. And you're trying to rectify and create greater balance um, where there was great imbalance. And certain communities felt it more than others. And, and so I, I believe we're headed in the right direction. 
I believe the philosophy and the point of view and the perspective um, that this administration holds, and which I ascribe to, we may have different approaches on how to get there, right? But in essence, if you're talking about creating greater quality and more opportunity for communities that have been on the receiving end of these systemic injustices, then it's going to take time. But if, with all these things being implemented, at some point, you know, it all starts gelling and, and you'll start seeing really the rewards of that down the line. So um, I think that we're, we're on the right path and um, we can always, you know, analyze it and do hearings and, and look at the statistics and look at the numbers. Uh, but in some of these cases, we've already started to see some of the, you know, some of the benefits of that. Being so on the same page, are you, are you, is the council um, doing its oversight job well? You know, there's a lot of synergy, not just you, you know, but but the council in general, most of the members, let's say, with the mayor's approach to things and a lot of, you know, a lot of common ground. Has that subdued the, you know, the council's oversight? No, not at all. I I think there's been issues clearly where we've been at really strong odds uh, in the budget negotiations. There have been things that were not originally a priority of the mayor that we have gotten into reevaluate. So, you know, just because something is not a public fight doesn't mean that we're not doing our job, right? So there's the hearings, and those have been some hearings that have not been contentious on certain issues. There's also a lot of negotiations and conversations that happen outside of even the hearing structure. There's conversations we're having every day with the mm-hmm. administration on different issues that come up. You know, we, and, and, and we put in our point of view, we're able to get them to adjust you know, conversations we have with the NYPD, you know, and I mean, there's, so there's a lot of work outside of just the oversight hearings themselves that has led to changes and has led to um, we, uh, looking at things in a different way, but uh, we, ha- we have had very aggressive hearings, you know, on different issues, and, uh, you know, we, the housing hearings, you know, we have also talked about NYCHA oversight, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of aggressive work we've done on that front. Uh, and another issue. So, so we're going to have the deed restriction hearing coming up soon. Oh, that, sure that, that was popping to mind when I, yeah, yeah when that, you were, you know, <laughs> That'll yeah. be. So, uh, I think we have about six different entities looking into that situation with the DOI and the controllers. I mean, it gets a little crazy, out. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we wanted to at least let some of that work get done. And then now we all, with that information in hand, you know, we have a responsibility to look at it and figure not figure out if the changes that the administration is proposing are enough, or we could go further. I was on the steps of City Hall with the girl president, right, and with Margaret Chin to talk about the idea of having some deep restrictions, Part of you changes, work. lifted mm-hmm. or not, you know, to go through Euler. Mm-hmm. So there's things that we are proposing that may not be exactly where the administration is heading, uh, you know, hoping to get to the same end result, but again, the path may be different yeah. in how we get there. So, so on that, I mean, you're not... It's it's fairly rare that you're holding a press conference or you're involved. You know, you're not a public sort of bomb thrower when it comes, at least to you know this administration, right? It seems like you have open dialogue, and as you just alluded to, the lines of communication are wide open. So that's happening in this building, in City Hall, on a very regular basis. What does that look like? I mean, is that a lot of sort of you saying to you know? Joe and other aides, like, you got to go talk to Emma, or is that you, you know, when do you pick up the phone, or when do you walk over and 
knock on the mayor's door. So we have, I mean, obviously not with the summer, a little bit of a lull, but, you know, obviously leading up to the budget and after the budget. But we, the mayor and I have consistent meetings. I mean, we meet once every two weeks, once every three weeks, and different times when I call. Obviously, you don't try to do that every day, right? There's, there's times when you want to engage the mayor directly based on issues. But uh, there's a lot of staff-to-staff interaction. If there's something that I'm not... Uh, particularly happy about or have concerns about, you know, the chief of staff alone will interact with with the admin and, and his equivalent on the other side. So there's a lot of engagement every day. I mean every day. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of a lot of engagement that happens. So uh, but yeah, but if I if if I don't hesitate and I need to to pick up the phone and call the mayor, he's very responsive too. So there is that level of respect. Uh, but it, it's it's I'm not the kind of person generally that is a bomb thrower. Um, even just, with just Bloomberg, I mean, like I don't person. I try not to personalize the issues. I, if I have a, a, a difference, it's about the issue. I, I don't try to personalize it, right? Mm-hmm. So, if I have a problem and it's on a policy front or a direction that something's going in, then I, I will definitely get make it known. Mm-hmm. Is are there examples you can think of where you felt? strongly enough to say, I gotta just talk to the mayor about this right now. Did that happen on like the Uber thing? Did that happen on horse carriages? Did that happen at all during the MIH discussion? I mean what is well, there- I'm, not, I'm not gonna get into the details of conversations on one that but obviously I do not hesitate and he's very open to basically accept my call on any issue. Uh, and and I appreciate that and obviously it's the same on the other side, but if he needs to speak to me about something and, and we try to figure it out. How, what kind of job is he doing? I mean, how do you evaluate how he's doing as mayor? You're on the page, on the same page about a lot of things. I think at, I would say at least a half a dozen press conferences, you know, he introduces you as his partner in government, right? Which I don't know that, you know, you always use the same terminology, right? But, but you know, he's, he's effusive. He seems to very much appreciate the working dynamic um, but how do you think he's doing? How how would you evaluate? Well, uh, we, I, you know, Bill and I was Bill and I were colleagues here in the council, so our relationship goes back a long time. So the respect goes back very far as well. So the partnership is is strong because of that. Um, and I think that again, I believe that what he's proposing to do and what he's been doing, which I think in some cases um, he doesn't get enough credit for. Maybe they haven't done the best job of communicating it, right? Whatever it is, but. I really think that when we talk about uh, going back to the pre-K, which is, is critical, when we talk about the mini ID, which he joined us on, he was had no issue. When we talk about paid sick leave and creating those opportunities for people in the workplace, when you talk about the changes to really try to make our educational system more fair and equitable, is is key. I mean, I don't have children, you know, in the public school system. I don't have children, period. But, you know, having been under eight years of Bloomberg, you know, they were so quick to close public schools. The lack of resources and investment in schools, um, to giving principals the tools to be able to get schools that were struggling to succeed. There was no investment in that. It was either what you succeeded or you didn't, you walked away from the schools. It's a whole different philosophy now where you have a chancellor that gets it because she's been through the system, that they're providing support, they don't want to walk away from communities. You know, there's, it's just a different vision. And I think that that just brings with it so much more opportunity for those families and the children that benefit of it. The, the expansion of the community school model, which I love. I mean, I went to Cincinnati. I saw the success mm-hmm. of it. I see how it works. I really believe 
um, in the idea that the more barriers you break down to a child to succeed, the more that child will succeed, right? So when you talk about a child that can't see because they don't have glasses or they need some sort of, of additional support, maybe they're hungry at home, the more barriers you break down, the better, and that, that's what a community school model is about, and they've invested heavily in that. Um, so there's a lot, you know. The homelessness issue is, is obviously a big, big, big one that is not going to get resolved overnight because I think the lack of real attention and seriousness was not there before. And so that's going to take a while to really get out of, of that. And But there's been changes that have been implemented that really look more holistically at the issue, right, and try to meet people where they're at. Uh, try to deal with the issue of chronic homelessness differently than we deal with the issue of a family that comes in looking for shelter temporarily. I mean, there's more thought being given to it. Is, uh, is that the bringing back of a subsidy program, which mm-hmm. was, is critically important. Uh, we have to challenge the private sector, right, to accept those vouchers mm-hmm. and to be more of a partner with us in allowing people an opportunity to have a, a permanent home. So there's work and challenges still there, but I believe that the way that they're looking at the issue of homelessness and the crisis is very different and is much better, I believe. Um, different from sort of when they did a shake-up on it, or you're saying different from the Bloomberg? Or, or Bloomberg in general. Okay. And again, when you're talking about a mayor that was there 12 years, uh-huh. and you had another eight years before that, you know, when you're introducing a whole new approach, it's going to take a while, right, to kind of get that in place. Um and the struggle to make sure that nobody is left, you know, homeless and providing uh, even temporary shelter where people need it is, is something that we struggle with and there are communities that reject it. There's a struggle that on the community level where we need to find housing, you know, emergency housing and communities are pushing back against it. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So, I, you know, I think that they've done some really good work in trying to have government be more sensible and sensitive, you know, compassionate, uh, we need we need that. So, you said so many things there. I know. <laughs> there's, there's, um, but but the, the general theme was a lot of the things that you're encouraged by, a lot of the things yes. that you agree with, right? Yes. So, August 25th, I think we are, does he deserve re-election, would you say? Yes. Yeah, you know, he's expressed he's in order for re-election, you know, and uh, and I support what he's been doing. On the um, to go back to the homelessness issue for one for one second, um, they sort of seem to acknowledge that they weren't getting the job done reducing that, right? That right. they needed a shakeup. I mean, is that something that is on your radar? Because you know the numbers have sort of stabilized, yeah. but they're not getting. They're not low. I know that's not fifty nine thousand. Yeah. You know the, the census, and, and to think, really, I mean, an incredible number of those are families. I mean, it just it just continues to really reinforce um, the crisis of affordability and housing that we have in this city, and that that really is a priority for me. I mean, I know I I welcome it, and I want you know working actively on getting that rezoning in my mm-hmm. district so mm-hmm. that we can create more affordable units. So when you think that the, the majority, twenty eight thousand of the of the fifty nine thousand are kids, you know, the majority of that fifty nine thousand are families. It's really, it's really troubling, um, but that, but that really speaks to the crisis in affordability in this city, and that's what we have to address. So your, your district, 
and your members' districts come into play there in a big way, yes. right? You mentioned your rezoning. There's also the rezonings elsewhere. There's, you mentioned, sort of siting of, of shelters. So is it your belief right now that people need to be able to say, you know, these people have to go somewhere. If there's if the administration needs to site a shelter, you know, you got to work with them. Look, I believe the the fair share um, reality needs to be really looked at. I mean, I think there needs to be more equity, right, in the way that services are distributed, right? Because there are there are literally some districts that have no shelters in them. Mm-hmm. You look at one like mine that we have probably over two thousand three thousand beds, and so so the issue of equity comes into the siting of services as well. Uh, and that's a real challenge. When we talked about the conversation about closing Rikers, right, of bringing services more locally into neighborhoods, because the people at Rikers are from our neighborhoods. Um, so th- th- there's a resistance to that as well. But, you know, that's the challenge that we have to put forth to every community. And we all have a responsibility, right, to each other and, and to making the city thrive and more equitable. And even in the conversation about the desegregation of public schools, what was happening on the Upper West Side, what was happening in Brooklyn, I mean, it gets to be a sensitive topic, right? You you mostly have seemed to sort of stay out of those local flare-ups and local concerns, or or is that not right? I mean, so, you know, whether whether it's a community that doesn't have a shelter being more receptive to one, or it's the school desegregation on the Upper West Side, is that something you largely think is, is sort of not not for you to weigh in in, on a, on a, in a strong way? I mean, I haven't weighed in on those, but the, on, the issue of, on the issue of the siting of homeless shelters, we've actually had Democratic conferences with Commissioner DHS at the time. We've talked about these things. You know, we've brought the conversation locally to my and said, you know, we have a real crisis here, and we have to really really address this and um, you know there, there may be some districts that push back against it but that we really should be you know welcoming of it and some members that are having pushback in their neighborhoods but are willing to push forward I think Danny Drum is an example of one right I think Danny Miller was the same you know where he was navigating those waters and he was getting some pushback but he understood the importance of it um, so sometimes I've had that happen in my district too, where there, initially there may be some resistance, but if it's the right thing to do, you have to come and engage your constituents and explain why you believe this is the right thing to do, as, and even though they may be opposed to it. And I have found that when you really have that engage in that conversation, take the time to really explain the process of your thinking and why, you know, even if people don't agree with you, they'll respect that, and you know, you can you can work with your constituents and. Uh, through and, and navigate through that, but um, but it's been you know it's 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 been a challenge. And on the issue of homelessness, though, we've we've had conversations at the local level with members and pushing them and saying, look, we've got to do something about mm-hmm. this because there are some, I mean, there's some conversations happening now where where some members are really pushing back. And and you mentioned fair share. That's something you brought up in in your state of the city yeah. most recent. Is that an upcoming priority? Yeah, we're, we're, we've been doing some thinking internally. We've been analyzing this and figuring out what are the things that we can do. Some of that is to dictated update by the state. fair share law. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. some of that is dictated by the state. So, but we got to figure out what are the things we can do as a city 
um, and we have the authority to do to, to create some more equity. So we think that there's something. So hopefully we'll be we'll be rolling something out soon, maybe mm-hmm. some ideas or a policy paper or something. Mm-hmm. You mentioned closing Rikers. Yeah. Is that is that? I know you're waiting on your commission. I know Judge Lippman is working on that. But is that something that you really be like to have a plan in place before your term is up? I mean, I think I've, obviously understanding it's going to take a long time to get there. But I would like to, yes, have a blueprint that really um, has us kind of disinvest from what I think is already an outmoded way of looking at criminal justice, right? And, and again, these are people that are waiting trial. Um, they haven't been, uh, they're not guilty as of yet. Uh, so sometimes, you know, it's, and, and sometimes people are unfortunately waiting longer than they should for those trial dates and are sitting in Rikers. So, but the issue of bringing those those individuals back to their neighborhoods and keep the, keeping them somehow connected uh, to their families, right, to additional services, uh, will have them reintegrate more successfully. And I think that that's important. That's in our best interest as a city. It's more cost-effective, um, right? If we're writing people off, there are societal consequences to that, right? And, and, uh, and so we have to look at it from that perspective and humanize the issue a little bit. And I think that that's about the work that we have to do is to really engage. It's going to take a lot of local engagement to, to have, get to that point. But that commission that's been convened is very committed. Um, they all believe that, that there's a lot that we need to do. So I really look forward to it. I believe we'll have, um, at least before my next state of the city, we'll have some recommendations uh, on, on ideas that could get that could be implemented. And is that something you wait on more from them before you're having more conversations with the administration? Because he... They're part of the conversation, too. Right. They're not totally, you know... Uh, they're part of the panel, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. at least representatives. Um, we sit in on the meetings. We're not on the commission itself, but we do have people from the council that are, are listening to the deliberations. Uh, but, but yeah, there's a lot of work that's that's going on, and and they're not removed from that. But hopefully mm-hmm. we could arrive at a point of agreement. There's another point of disagreement <laughs> on that issue. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Right, the mayor seemed to sort of warm slightly to it after his initial pushback but you know my estimation looking at the the the, the calendar is your term calendar and his re-election are going to sort of collide in a way <laughs> that that might take it make it challenging right for him to me if he's going to get on board with the plan to close Rikers it wouldn't happen until his second term and he doesn't have to worry about a re-election right. I mean, maybe even longer I mean, it's, that's, not a, that's not an easy thing to do but and obviously it has to be incrementally, right? There have to be steps taken. Long term plan, sure. right? That just there's been different things that we've been looking at. But uh, no, but I'm excited. I mean, these are the this is the legacy stuff, right? I'm mm-hmm. going to be gone at uh, the end of 2017, and there's stuff that I want to leave in place that is going to just have uh, continue to to have its its impact, and that will help have helped make this city more fair and just and that's really what I, I hope to do alright so let's talk about that for a minute unless you're not going to say anything different than what you've said I before said <laughs> I mean so okay so how about this how about this um, let me th- I'll throw a few things at you and you tell me your reaction to them how they sound to you sure okay um, so one is you leave office after 2017 and you go back into labor organizing. 
Is that interesting to you? Is that something that's on your... No, that's not on my radar. I think with the experience I've gained, obviously I value the work that our unions do each and every day, but in terms of the experience I've gained as a council member and now as speaker, I definitely want to continue to be influential in city politics, meaning policy changes, you know, conversations to that end, uh, and, you know, and, and, and figure out what that is. What is the right mix? What would the right role be? You mm-hmm. know, maybe it's creating a role for myself. I have to... You know, think about it, going into the philanthropic sector, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. You, you, you don't know what life has in store. So I'm not there yet, but, I, you know, obviously with people that are really important to me and that have been my mentors and that give, get me grounded and give me guidance, you know, I start throwing ideas about, like, look, i got to start thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Like, what would be kind of the ideal, you know, role for me or situation for me? So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it. Not so, spending too much time yet, right. <laughs> but I'm, I'm starting to think about it. So that means no Puerto Rico. That means you wouldn't... You said stay involved in city politics. Well, uh, you know, I don't close all doors. You know, again, like f- three months from now, you don't know what opportunities sure. may emerge. Four months from now. I do feel very strong that I want to finish my term. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I know people keep throwing out their different ideas of what may be in store for me. Well, I'm um, getting to the big question about <laughs> the Clinton administration. But, you know, but, but I, I feel really strongly about the, the level of of influence that I have with this position that I can really help my district out which is really really dear and important to me uh, to figure out the best way that I can really leverage um, any support that I can provide to to bring more to the district Um, and you know so so that's important to me but again you don't know what can emerge and those are things that you have to think about and evaluate as they're presented to you so that's why I don't try to be very fixated Mm -hmm. in any one point of view uh, I leave things open, uh, but yeah, but it's still a ways out. Yeah, it just, is. just you know, there's it always is. and with with the work you've been doing with the you know the Clinton campaign, you can't, obviously you can't blame people for some speculation, right? Right. Yeah. But what I will what I will challenge is the idea that the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm trying to leverage a position, which some people may have mm-hmm. that point of mm-hmm. thinking. That is never was in the, the again. If people know me and know who I am. You know, I really support Hillary because I believe in her and I believe in what she will do for this country and what she can do for our city and what she can do for our communities like the one I represent, right? And um, and the issue of Puerto Rico is very, very, very much a priority for me personally. Um, so I'm interested in having a president that is going to be a partner with the island and that is going to really, you know, make that a priority to figure out how do we help um, get Puerto Rico out of its situation and so, you know, so, so there's some things there in terms of reasons why all of it is beyond my personal self-interest. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's one of the things I would push back on when I hear that, oh, yeah, she's only doing this because, right? And that's, again, people that know me know that that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me finish on, yeah. on yep. one more thing here. Um, do you pay attention to poll numbers? Do you, do you look at them? Do you, I mean, it, you know, when a Quinnipiac poll comes out that includes you in something, is that something? That I mean, you, you know, because it, they come out, like Eric will tell me, oh, the polls came out. But I, I don't really pay attention uh-huh. to that. So the most recent Quinnipiac poll asks about your approval rating, right? 29% of New Yorkers approve, 23% disapprove, 48% don't know or, or didn't answer. Why do you think, you know, Speaker of the City Council... That don't know number two and a half years in. I, it's, I assume I didn't look back, but I assume most of the time a lot of New Yorkers poll just aren't 
familiar enough with the speaker of the city council. Why is that? Like, what 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 do you you know? What do you? I don't know. I mean, look, statistics and you know surveys like this. Who are who's being evaluated? Who are they? Are these you know are these consistent voters? Not consistent voters, right? People that are. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who they sample in mm-hmm. these things actually. But you know, people. Some people are not engaged. You know, we have numbers of people that don't go out and vote, right? And and the numbers are high, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And there's more that we need to do as as a society to really cultivate and engage people more. That's why I believe in participatory governance because mm-hmm. I think it's a path of getting people more invested in their community and more engaged. And we've seen in the small examples of when we've done it at a local level that the people that engage in those processes are ones that are typically not the average voters. Um, so you, we have more to do to encourage same-day voter registration, extended voting hours. You know, there's things that we have to do which the state has a lot more of a role in that. Um, but that's it's a it's a sad reality. So again, I'm not sure if these are active voters. Yeah, I think I mean I think I'm it's polls sure. of voters, but I think it's I mean I think part of it is that even the people who pay attention and who vote don't pay that close attention to to city government. Right, and that's why one of the things that we've done is as as in looking at some of the tools we have available, is trying to figure out how do we make the council more accessible to those that we represent. Right, creating more opportunities for people to engage through apps, sending us tweets at hearings and asking questions or having the website be a little bit more accessible and more engaging, uh, trying to take some hearings. We've done more of that than when I was council member outside of the council and try to figure out like expanding participatory budgeting, creating opportunities for for people to really get to know who we are. Um, and I think we've, you know, we've, we've, we have to have a long ways to go, right? Not only us, but everybody. But, um, you know, I'm still shocked every day when I go to neighborhoods way outside of mine, people recognize you know, mm. me and, and know the work that's going on. So, uh, again, I, I don't know about the polls, and I don't... Well, thank thank you for the time. You gotta, I I'm appreciate gonna, it. you got to come up to my district. I'm going to come. I'm going to come up. We'll, we'll walk the district.